Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. If you're wondering why I say good afternoon and good evening versus just good morning, if you happen to be on the Eastern Time Zone watching this show live streaming, it's because I have people listening all over the world, both live and on the podcast. As And you, thankfully, my listeners have made us in the top 5% globally of all podcasts. That is an amazing thing. And it's because of you all around the world. And I'd like to welcome the listeners in Vietnam who have started charting this show in the top 50 of all of the podcasts in Vietnam for business and entrepreneurship. So welcome. I, I don't know how to say welcome in Vietnamese. So please know it's from my heart. And to all of those of you in the United States and all around the world, thank you as always for listening, for commenting, for reaching out to me to let me know how this show is changing your life. The reason I have this show is because I wanted to introduce you to such amazing people that I've met along the way of my life or that have come into my life through other guests on my show or through books I've read that in some way have helped me shift a perspective, look at something differently, or in some cases just made me go, huh, that's really interesting. And one of those people is on my show today. I, I had the pleasure of meeting her through um, a guest on my show, but someone who's a dear, dear friend of mine, Patty Grimm, who said, you must meet her. And I went, okay. <laughs> um, I'd like to introduce you all to, I'm going to bring her on camera right now as I talk about her. So that's always fun when you're on the, when you're on camera and then somebody starts talking to you about you, Kim Menninger and Kim, am I pronouncing your last name right? I didn't even ask you. You are. Yes. Thank okay, you. Okay. Perfect. So, so Kim, we met through Patty Grimm because you had her on your show, which is uh, the imposter syndrome um, actually, that's not the full name of your show. So tell me the full name of your show again. The Imposter Syndrome Files. Files. That's right. And I should remember that because I, I love sci-fi shows and all <laughs> of that stuff. So The Imposter Syndrome Files. And I, I was fascinated when Patty was telling me about it. So you're not only the host of that, you are in the world of tech, just like I was and still am. You've, um, you're a certified coach. You do executive coaching for people. And you started this show called The Imposter Syndrome Files. I have my own run-ins with imposter syndrome. I thought I was past them and they've been rearing their ugly head lately. So how did you get into talking about that topic? I have my own issues with imposter syndrome that have led me on a very personal journey with this whole area. So I was first introduced to it. I studied psychology as an undergrad and was so relieved when I found out that there was a thing called imposter syndrome, that it wasn't just me, that I wasn't crazy. And then, of course, in tech, I experienced it even more when I was working and comparing myself to people around me. And so I was trying to navigate my own experience with it. And then over time, as I got more comfortable and realized what was working for me, I wanted to share it with other people. I just know how painful it is. It's so disruptive to so many people. And so I've made it my personal mission to pers to very specifically destigmatize the conversation. I think there's just so much shame around it. And so I want us to be able to have an open conversation so that people can realize they're normal. <laughs> this isn't uh, something that makes us crazy and that there are resources that we can take advantage of. Okay. I think we need to start out because I've asked a few people what they think imposter syndrome is. And there are many, many different perceptions, mm -hmm. shall we say, about what imposter syndrome is. So for the sake of our conversation today, why don't you create a definition for our show today? as to how we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. Okay, sure. So the simplest way that I can describe it is that it's that feeling of inadequacy that we feel. We feel like we're not qualified to be doing the work we're doing, holding the role that we're holding, despite the fact that to the outside world, everything's going well. 
we on paper, we are worthy of the roles that we hold. We are performing at a high level, but inside there's this feeling that I'm a fraud. At any moment, people are going to realize that I don't actually belong here. Okay. Now you said you started your show because of your own sort of um, brush with imposter syndrome. I'm not even sure if it was a brush or if it's a full on, right? Because some people kind of skirt it. Like, oh, what the hell am I thinking? And and they move past it and other people just get mired in it really, really deep and it stops them. And I will admit, and we're going to talk about this later, that I'm kind of in the mired in one aspect of, of my career, of my moving forward. In other areas, like doing the show, oh, what the heck, I can do anything, right? I'm fine with it. So what was your... Um, situation, if you don't mind sharing uh, with imposter syndrome? So for me, I mentioned that I have a psych degree and I found myself in high tech. I stumbled into it. It was never part of my master plan to go into the corporate world. I always thought I was going to go on to grad school, become a clinical psychologist. And so when I found myself in this new world with people who had so much more experience than I did. And it really truly felt to me like they were speaking a foreign language. I would sit in meetings with engineers, other technical people that were talking about our products, things that I felt I should know and understand. And I thought I am one question away from this whole house of cards just collapsing. Everyone's gonna realize as soon as they ask me something that I don't know what I'm doing and that I do not belong in this room. And it was definitely more than a brush. It was it was a multi-year journey of me feeling like I'm not good enough, like I need more. I was so desperate to consume as much information as possible, thinking that I had to acquire all of the information that all of these people had developed over years of training and education and, you know, just to prepare for one meeting that I was going to be attending. And so the pressure was so high. It was so, the anxiety could be crippling at times. Is there an opposite to imposter syndrome? Well, it's funny because the, the, What's used often as the opposite to imposter syndrome is the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is the sense that I am actually smarter than I really am. So I actually believe that I'm more competent than it's true by um, what the evidence supports. (laughs) Right. Okay. Because I'm thinking that arrogance is the opposite of imposter syndrome and maybe somebody who was going through your your scenario where you're seeing all these people who have more experience than you perceived more experience and, and in some cases, actual more experience than you that know more that, um, you know, have been in psychology a lot longer that some people, instead of feeling inadequate may go the opposite way and just be like, well, they don't know anything. I know everything. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I do believe that there are people that fall into that category. But I also think that self-doubt is something that affects so many of us and many of us overcompensate in other ways. So for some of us, many of us who fall into this category of imposter syndrome, what we find ourselves doing is shutting down. Like, well, I don't want to expose myself, so I'm just not going to speak up. I'm going to hesitate before I take on something new. I don't want people to know how incompetent I really am, where there are other people who overcompensate. And so there, there's more of that bravado or that, you know, that outward sense of what might be perceived as arrogance, but it's really a reflection of an insecurity. Because well, the way that I think about it is confidence is quiet, right? We don't have to talk about how wonderful we are if we really believe that we are. And so usually when you see anything on either extreme, it's somehow compensating for an insecurity of some sort. Okay. How did you move past those feelings of inadequacy that you had? So the biggest turning point for me, and I will say it's been a work in progress. I mean, I still have moments when this, like you said, rears head, right? I think it's kind of thing that's episodic. It sneaks up on us from time to time. But the biggest game changer for me and the situation that I described was that I went to speak to our executive vice president, who was the head of all of engineering at the time. And this was after taking three software engineering courses, thinking I was going to get a master's degree to make up for everything I didn't know and taking every product training I could possibly find. And I sat down with him and I said, you know what? Sometimes I feel in over my head 
in some of these meetings. Do you think I should get an engineering degree if I want to advance in the company? And he literally looked at me like I had two heads and he said, what? He said, get an engineering degree. No. He said, you don't have to know everything. He said, but you need to know what you don't know and then build relationships with people who have that expertise. He said, if you have to have a technical conversation, bring a technical person in the room with you. You are surrounded by engineers. And I left that meeting feeling like this huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And what it allowed me to realize, all of a sudden I had this light bulb moment where I thought, you know what? I never put on my resume that I have technical experience. I've never told anybody that I understand technology, yet they hired me anyway, yet they brought me into this meeting anyway. There must be another reason why I'm here. And as soon as I was able to connect with the fact that I was not in the room to compete with Bob from engineering, who has 20 years of experience that I'll never have, and that I was there to represent a different side of the business, to serve a different purpose, I was able to shift my focus away from what I didn't know to what I did know. And that changed everything for me. I have goosebumps (laughs) and I just had to write something down because as you were talking about that conversation you had with your boss, it took me back to when my first job out of college and, you know, I have a degree in computer science and technical writing. Okay. And I started out with computer science EE, but I realized I hated electrical engineering. So I switched to technical writing, which ended up working out really, really well for somebody who ran their own tech services company and has been a journalist and everything. Cause you, you got the geek with the English, <laughs> So it really, really helped a lot. But the company I was working for would pay for a master's degree. And I started searching saying, well, I should probably get an MBA. And then part of me was like, well, maybe I should get a a law degree because that would be a useful thing. And there was an MBA Juris Doctor degree at one of the colleges. And then I was like, well, is that really what I want to do? Maybe I need to get a master's or a PhD in computers again in computer science and somebody approached me who was also looking into master's degree programs and they introduced me to this master of science degree in management that polytechnic university which is now part of nyu um, used to be brooklyn poly way way back a big geek engineering school and I'm looking at this program and I was talking to the dean of the the program and he said, well, Laura, what is your plan for your future? And at that point it was still, you know, I'm going to work corporate, not necessarily going to become an entrepreneur. And he said, well, do you really need a deep dive into accounting and finance and all of these other aspects that an MBA would give you? Or do you, what you really need is to flesh out those other aspects of your technical degree you have so that you could communicate with accountants and finance people and HR people and all these other people. He said, because even if you become an entrepreneur or if you become a CEO of an organization, you need to know what they're saying enough to say, I need more information. And that's like an epiphany for me right now, because that really stuck home for me my entire career. And then I eventually became, um, you know, an entrepreneur and founded and sold my tech services company. I had a multi-state tech services company. I hired incredible accountants and I learned how to read all of the financial stuff for my business. I never once had imposter syndrome around that because I knew that I didn't need to know everything. I just needed to know what I didn't know to ask the questions. So that was, that's huge for me right now. And we'll, uh, I'll, I'll share more of the story as we go on, but thinking about what I just said, how can my listeners or better yet, let's shift that question. Is that the key to moving through imposter syndrome or not? Like this idea of, you know what you don't know and bring the right people in. I think that's one of the keys because one of the classic hallmarks of imposter syndrome is perfectionism. It's this pressure that we put on ourselves to 
do everything, to know everything. And as we all intellectually realize, it's an impossible standard. And it doesn't make a lot of sense when you actually start to think about it, right? When I think about my own situation, why on earth would I need to know the job of every other person in the meeting room? <laughs> why would we need a team? <laughs> why would we? Why would I be in the room if I had the same expertise as the person that I was worried about measuring myself up to? Right. So I think a part of it is that we just get very inside our own heads and we make these assumptions that if I'm less than perfect, right, if I don't know everything, that I'm not adding the right level of value, that I'm not qualified. And so we have to really start with what's the story we're telling ourselves and to not accept that as fact. And what's been really helpful for me too, as part of this journey of managing imposter syndrome, is to recognize that a lot of where that comes from is that it's a just a very natural fear response to being in a situation that feels threatening to our to our brains, right? Like we feel exposed, we feel vulnerable when we're in a situation where we don't feel fully prepared or where we don't have all of the information and our brain is wired to protect us and starts telling us, basically, you gotta get out of here. You gotta go back to your comfort zone where it's safe. And often the way it does that is in very harsh, nasty language that's designed to get our attention. And so we have an opportunity to challenge what we're actually telling ourselves, what that narrative is, and to evaluate it from a more analytical perspective and say, do I really need to know this? Do I really need another degree? <laughs> right? What am I actually going to get from that? What is the return on that investment going to be? And if we can start to look at it from that perspective, it can start to break down some of the anxiety and some of just that ambiguous energy that we otherwise can't really do anything with. I, I just feel like going <laughs> for, for those of you who, who are only listening to this on podcast and not catching the live stream with video, you're going to want to catch this point. It's, it's about the seven minute, 30 second point. Cause I just put my hands to my head and just went like head exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I forget that, you know, other people are only listening to this on audio and don't get the benefit of the like crazy expressions I'm making <laughs> as, as I, I get my mind blown by by what you just said, Kim. Uh, if anybody's just joining us, by the way, I'm here with Kim Menninger. She is a, a woman's leadership coach, a woman in tech. And she has an incredible show called The Imposter Syndrome Files. And she's on my show and we're talking about imposter syndrome, but not at low levels, people. We're, we're going deep into this because my mind is constantly being blown by the stuff you're telling me, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Patty was right that I needed to have her on the show. And, and she's like, you're going to come out of your interview with her saying to yourself, the next time I stop myself, she goes, I, you're going to be like, what, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> so, so anyway, all right, let's, let's just unpack a little bit of what you, you just talked about. So what you're saying is that there's a heck of a lot going on when you've got imposter syndrome going on, right? It's, it's not just about, I'm not good enough. It's about, and I never thought of it this way, okay, perfectionism. I never would, maybe other people might have, and if you did, feel free to put in the chat, yeah, I linked imposter syndrome and uh, perfectionism together, but I didn't. And when you said, we say to ourselves, we need to know everything, that like flies in the face of what I had always done, but now all of a sudden I'm putting that pressure on myself. And I know others are doing that because I hear this from my listeners. I hear this from my clients and I always tell them what you just said, but for myself, I'm not always paying attention the same way. So I think it's really fascinating. So what are some of the things that can help somebody my listeners who are, are listening to the show via podcast or, or live stream, 
can they say to begin to get themselves out of it to gain that awareness? Because I think there's a lot of trouble for people even realizing that what they're processing through is imposter syndrome plus perfectionism. Yes. So I I have a few thoughts on this, but I want to stick with one point for a moment because this idea of perfectionism, I think, is actually deeply rooted in our academic system. And imposter syndrome tends to strike high achievers more than anybody else. So it's the people you least expect to suffer from self-doubt because they've been very successful. They tend to be continually on the rise. When you start to peel it back, you start to realize why that makes sense. And that's because, like I said before, this is really when you're coming out of your comfort zone, when you're feeling like the new kid again, right? Like, oh, I'm so aware of everything that I don't know. And many of us who are high achievers have continued to pursue additional education, and we've been raised in a system that values perfectionism, right? Because we're graded based on how perfect our responses are to whatever our teachers ask of us. And so we we get comfortable in a structure that packages everything we need to know into learning modules so that there is a realistic chance that we can anticipate what every question will be and that we can be prepared for whatever that evaluation process will look like. And then we get rewarded based on that. So the person with the highest grade is the person who was most perfect, right? And so we expect that that system that worked really well for us for so much of our lives is going to help us when we get into the workplace. And so many of us decide, well, I'm going to focus on this perfect work product, and I'm going to make sure that I dot every I and cross every T, and then we lose sight of the more nuanced process of building relationships, really looking at ourselves as, as, well, I bring these strengths and you bring these strengths and how can we complement each other? Because academia, for the most part, is an individual sport, right? We may have some group efforts, but for the most part, we're getting our own individual grades. And so part of it is just recognizing that what got us here isn't going to get us where we want to go next. And what I often say is as part of the process of shifting out of that academic mindset of I need to be 100% prepared for everything that I walk into, I need to know every question I might be asked and bring every data point that might be necessary is to prepare for what you're most afraid of, right? Prepare for what you're what is actually giving you anxiety, because usually it's something like, I'm going to get asked a question I don't know the answer to. That's inevitable. Someday that's going to happen. So prepare for that. What's my plan when someone asks me a question I don't have the answer to? For me, I am a high anxiety person. Always had anxiety, probably always will. If I have a plan, I can handle it. If I know what I'm going to do in a worst case scenario, I can get through it. So I think that's part of it for those of us who struggle with imposter syndrome is recognizing I can't be perfect. I won't be perfect. What happens when I'm not perfect? What do I do? in a situation in which that lack of perfectionism is exposed. I hear what you're saying. And a whole bunch of different thoughts go through my head. Okay. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pick one thought. I feel like it's not always for me and, and for some of my clients, even this idea of, well, somebody's going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. It's a, I am going to fail so miserably at whatever I'm about to get myself into that something horrible is going to happen as a result. Yes. And anxiety, like you said, hyperachiever, like you said. So this fear of going even further past the, I won't know the answer to the question, but taking it to another level of, well, if I don't know the answer to that question, something really bad's going to happen. Yes. Yes. Talk about that. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. So you're describing a bigger, that, that on a bigger scale with, I'm going to take this risk and I'm going to fail, right? For some people, taking the risk means sharing their idea in a meeting and having it not land well, and the the catastrophic effect in our minds of what that will do to us, right? I'm going to look unprepared. I'm going to look like I don't belong here. I'm going to make a fool of myself. All of these things feel incredibly risky and dangerous to us. And so it's easier to 
just shut down, not engage. Um, so I will say that for me, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, it's when I get in this anxious place of the sky is falling, something terrible is going to happen. I can't move forward from there. It's just this almost like this chronic fight or flight state, right? right? And when you're in that state, you're not reasoning, you're not problem solving, you're not thinking clearly. And so what I have found to be a really helpful strategy is to really look at, okay, what am I really worried about? What, what does failure even look like? And what are the true consequences of that? Because I think we have in our brains, this idea that failure is such a bad thing, but we haven't really played it out to see what what is even probabilistically <laughs> making up a word going to happen here. Um, what what are the chances that I will fail? If I do fail, what does that actually mean? You know, we don't analyze it. So for me, it's about shifting from anxiety to analysis. Okay, is this a realistic fear? What would make this less likely? What do I need right now to feel more confident stepping into whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's this meeting, whether it's this new role that I'm taking on, this risk that I'm taking. of, If I can really start to name what's making me uncomfortable, then I can start to put some action around it. So, okay, maybe maybe the reason why I'm so worried that I'm going to go into this meeting and I'm speaking from personal experience, right, is I don't feel like I understand this product well enough to engage in an intelligent conversation. Well, there's something I can do about that, right? I can get more information about what the purpose of the conversation is. I can have conversations with people to ask some questions up front. That's all within my control. And once I do that, now I walk in more confidently. So that's where I think it's really important is to shift out of that just catastrophizing mode into more of like, what's, what's the, what are the realistic risks here and how do I minimize them in an active way? Okay. Does everybody who's going through imposter syndrome though know that that's what's happening for them? No. No, and I think that's part of the challenge. And that's the reason why I feel so personally motivated to have this conversation as often as possible because I make assumptions sometimes that everybody knows what we mean by imposter syndrome. But every time I speak, I'll get people who come to me later and say, I am so grateful that this is a thing, right? That there's this, there's a name for this and that it's not just me. Because many of us, either because we're moving too quickly and we're not paying attention or because we are unaware that this is a quote unquote thing, we just accept at face value, whatever our brain tells us, whatever that inner critic language is. And we don't realize that there are other options available to us. Okay. So expand that idea of other options available to us and, and what you were just talking about, just expand that a little further. So I don't have to accept that what I'm telling myself is reality. And one of the things I love is when Brene Brown says the story I'm telling myself is, mm -hmm. right? Because that's language that I've adopted myself and that I encourage everybody to think about is when you when you frame the, that inner critic language, that nastiness that you're hearing about what you are and are not capable of, you, it's very easy for us to just assume that that's truth. But if we put some distance between it in some way, um, by saying the story I'm telling myself, for example, or by naming our inner critic is, as a way of differentiating it from ourselves, what we do is we create the possibility that there's another way to interpret this situation. That this is just this is not just fact. This is the way that we're processing it, and we can choose to process it in a different way. Another way to interpret this, that I, I just, I'm writing that down because I feel like, and I'm just having a struggle. I'm still new to writing again, everybody, after my hand was in the brace forever and uh, it still swells up randomly. So every so often I'll be writing and my hand will go, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yes, I can. I'm out of the brace. Everything's good. So except another way of interpreting things is that in this particular case, my hand is telling me I shouldn't be doing this, but all the doctors and everybody have told me I can. Um, but you know, my hand may swell while it's still getting used to those things. So yet another, <laughs> totally aside, random variable, but you've got me thinking, Kim, about that. Let me share 
my remember I said I I have this story of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I never in my life thought about imposter syndrome. Right? I was always the you know the geeky top of the class, always total confidence in everything I do. I can see now that looking at some of the stuff throughout high school and and even in um, grammar school after my brother died that there was some bravado to make me feel more comfortable to hide the scared little girl from after my brother died, right? So I needed to perform at higher levels and, and do certain things. When I started my tech company, I never doubted that I would excel at it, right? Everything always seemed to fall into place. I had top level degrees and certifications. I mean, I actually taught geeks to be geekiers. I got certified instructor, master certified instructor levels for Microsoft, for Novell, for all of that stuff, right? I taught the classes other geeks took on top of being able to fix stuff that nobody else could because I just could do it. I could sell to anybody that you put in front of me. They came on board with my company. But then I hit this milestone, shall we say, inside the company. And I was burned out and I wanted to sell because I was just fried and I was burned out, but I didn't sell. And I, I didn't sell at that point because I felt the company wasn't big enough. And if I sold, I was failure because I didn't grow it as big as it could be. And that even though the outside world was telling me your company's really great, in my own mind, I was a failure because it wasn't big enough. So I kept the company for several more years, built it at one point to a seven-figure company, um, and then eventually ended up selling the company through a lot of different scenarios that came through. To me, that became the moment when I realized I was suffering from imposter syndrome, but not the way I thought about it, right? I was looking at myself as a failure because it wasn't a big enough success. I didn't have enough employees. Even though I had offices in two states, it wasn't enough because I compared myself to everybody else around me that had $10 million companies and $20 million companies and were getting bigger press and were doing bigger things than I was doing. Saying that story out loud, and you know, and I've shared that before on the air, I thought I was then past it, right? That I wouldn't encounter imposter syndrome again because I had seen it. Then the company that bought my company, my contract ended, I was let go, and I decided to start I wrote a book, which hit number one international bestseller, 90 weeks on Amazon charts. You know, I was doing keynote speaking and people wanted me to coach them and consult. And I had such a hard time, Kim, doing that because even though I have a master's in management, I'm like, who am I to tell them how to fix their business? You know, and well, yes, I have a number one international best-selling book, but it's not a New York Times best-selling book. So maybe my book really is crap. <laughs> and and I, I went down this path. And I mean, I have con- coached and consulted companies from the red to the black in under four months. But yet I go, well, I can't put myself out there sometimes. So hearing my story... And my listeners out there, if you have similar stories, please let me know, post on social media, let Kim know. Um, Kim, how do people reach out to you? Well, you can reach out to me on my website at yourcareersuccess.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn, um, Kim Menninger. Okay, cool. So you can reach out to me anywhere on social media, laura at laurasteward.com is my email. But so Kim, hearing my story, And my listeners who have never heard it before, yep, I'm really honest about everything that goes on in my head. (laughs) 
So what do you say to that? How do you coach somebody through that? So there's a few things that I'm picking up on from what you said. And I think that if I had to think about the phrase that best defines imposter syndrome, it's who am I to? (laughs) Who am I to? And, you know, what's interesting is you were talking about the story of if I sell, it's a failure, right? And who decides for us what success looks like or what being an expert looks like. I mean, all of these concepts are incredibly subjective. There is no, there's no system that defines like you are officially successful if you reach this point. <laughs> and so we get tangled up in these social comparisons that really set us up for disappointment and failure because there's always going to be someone who knows more than we do. There's always going to be some business that's quote unquote more successful than we are. We, I think, have an opportunity to really reflect on our core values and our purpose for doing it in the first place. Why do I want to be a consultant? Why do I, why would I engage in this kind of effort to help somebody else grow their business. When you focus on being of service, you're not in your own head. That is one of the most effective strategies for confidence building is to get outside of yourself and focus on what you have to offer to other people. And that has been a really big driver for me as a coaching consultant as well, because I have been just as guilty of saying, who am I to, right? Like, I coach incredibly successful, talented, bright people. And I think, what can I possibly have to offer to them, right? But then I realize what I have defined as the scope of my service offering, where I can help them, right, is a need that they have. And is there somebody else out there who knows more about imposter syndrome? Of course. Is there somebody else out there that could do this better than I do? Of course. But this is a relationship. I have something that can help you address the pain that you're experiencing, help you grow, help you, you know, navigate some of these challenging situations. And I'm going to focus on that. I'm not going to focus on me. And when you do that, you feel stronger. You you end up with the, re, the positive reinforcement from people who tell you, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I couldn't have done this without you. Or it's, you know, people will say to me, I still remember what you said to me three years ago. I don't remember even saying that, right? But they've held on to it. So focus on the ways in which you are being of service to other people. And if it comes from a place of service, not ego, that's when I think that you're you're doing it right, so to speak, right? If it's all about our ego, we're never gonna have enough. If it's about like, how powerful am I? How important am I? How wonderful do people think I am? We'll never get there because there's always somebody who has more of it. Yeah, and I, I think also admitting out loud that you're feeling that way, even if it's just to yourself in an empty room, mm-hmm. it it's helpful, right? Because as I was telling you those things and and sharing that with my listeners, which I've shared before, um, I realized that I'm telling myself a story for a number of years. Mostly whenever my my health is at its lowest. And the reason I'm thinking that through is because when my health is at its lowest, which has been for several years now, I'm not that hyperachiever. I hate the word overachiever, by the way. So I, I use the term hyperachiever because overachiever implies a negative a negativism in our culture. Hyperachiever to me says you're just you're driven. You're you're striving for more. You have your own ideas of what achievement is and you just want to do, right? So I've always been this hyperachiever that oh, I know that. Well, well what else can I learn? What else can I do? What else can I achieve? And because of the health, I feel stunted that that drive, that adrenaline burst that I always got because I was always on a course of learning is for me stunted in a way. And that's when I realize now as I'm talking to you that the imposter syndrome rears its head 
because in my own mind, I've created that that's who I am is that hyperachiever and that anything that I'm doing that's not at that level for me can't possibly be me at my best. So accepting that for right now, because it feels like it's forever, um, these years of, of ill health have lowered that is hard. So would is that still a form of imposter syndrome? And how do you move somebody? Because I know I've got a lot of listeners that are going through life challenges. I mean, like, just look at the last year of COVID. People could not do right? And I have some people that are listening who are long hauler COVID people that are still suffering from the effects of when they got COVID. And they, they're trying to be what they used to be back out there in the world, but they can't, or their careers are halted because maybe they were in the restaurant business and they just can't figure out how to pivot. But then there is all these other people out there, you know, that have pivoted and created other businesses within their business with it. So um, I'd love your, your thoughts on that yeah. big thing that I just threw out at you. Yeah, it's such a powerful observation of yourself, right? And I, I can totally see the parallels with a lot of other people, especially now, because there has been so much disruption during the pandemic. And a lot of people have been through no fault of their own, whether for, for health reasons or economic reasons, made vulnerable in some way, right? And I would not ever claim to be an expert in this, but it just makes me think about Brene's work, Brene Brown's work around shame and just where we derive our self-worth, right? And I, I personally am a hustler. I am somebody who's who defines my value by how much I produce or how much I do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and yeah, and I'm hearing that and what you're saying, that hyperachiever is exactly how I identify. And I have this very very strong voice in my head that says, don't be lazy, right? Don't get too comfortable. And I know that there's a lot going on there that's that I could probably spend more time working on to get to a place where I don't I don't equate my value to what I do. And to that, to get to that, what I consider to be this incredibly lofty place of I am good enough, right? Just just as I am. I think that this is a really hard thing for so many of us who have built our success, built our identities on what we do, um, what we do for work, what value we offer to society. And it, it, what you're making me think about is that we're all going to have to slow down at some point, you know, unfortunately, right? Life comes to an end and we get older and our our capabilities change. And so how do we gracefully transition into those next phases of our lives without feeling like a failure, without feeling like the best of what we can be is behind us. Um, I, th I, I wish I had an answer to that because I think it's something that we all grapple with at some point. I'm typing something that I'm going to put underneath um, because you, you, you've, You've been an awesome guest, right? Because <laughs> you, you just you keep making me rethink everything. So I'm going to throw this question out there that you just talked about. How do you define your value? I think everybody listening, and if you're driving your car, just while you're listening to this show on podcast or or live now. Uh, just think about it in your head, but focus on your driving. Those are from my days of being on broadcast radio where <laughs> literally my guests would pose something or try to take somebody through a meditation. I'm like, okay, well, everybody who's driving your car, if you choose to do this, pull over on the side of the road. All right. And, and I feel like this question can be as dangerous if you're driving a motor vehicle as asking somebody to meditate while they're driving. How do you define your value. I mean, Kim, that is mind blowing to me. If I, I know that I, and I wrote it down for myself, I'm going to sit down and look at that. How do I define my value? And then where did that definition come from? You know, and I've done this with success. I do it with my clients. How do they define success? And where did that definition come from? And I love to see the 
the epiphanies people get from it of, you know, typically success came from something in the media or from your parents or school or something like that. But value, I've always defined my value with how productive I was. Even my ex-husband used to say to me, you're the most productive person I've ever seen in my life. I wish I could be that even half of how productive you are. And I think that stuck in my head when he said it even more because I had never thought about it before. But then I lost it shortly after that. And I don't know if it's linked to my ex-husband or to my mom getting very sick after that. Um, I mean, I had my ex-husband and my mom have open heart surgeries six months apart from each other. And all of a sudden, I became this massive caretaker and dealing with personality changes as a result of their surgeries and stopping for six years to take care of my mom, pretty much, because I couldn't travel. It wasn't easy to do that. And I wanted to be with my mom. And then I got divorced, obviously, via the ex-husband thing, (laughs) saying the ex-husband. But this is huge for imposter syndrome. And I don't I don't think I've ever heard this before from Brene Brown, from from anybody, this link to how you define value. Can you tell how blown away I am by that? <laughs> no, it's such, it's such a powerful conversation. I'm so grateful to you, Laura, because I do believe that anything that undermines our core identity in some way has the potential to trigger imposter syndrome. And so many of us have completely tied our identities to what we produce, what are, to our productivity. Yeah. yeah. And if we just sat down and defined it and then looked at, well, where did that come from? And is it the truth for me now? Maybe it was the truth for you before, but is it the truth for me now? And if it's not the truth for me now, come up with a new definition of value. And I don't know about you, Kim, but I would love for people to share that Mm. either um, now in the live chat or later on, you can always find the the show on the link and share it. And um, I'll be constant. I'm always constantly looking out on social media for what people did. And Kim, you and I have friended each other on social um, or they can reach out to us individually, maybe to help work them through it, because you've already helped me work through like so much just in less than an hour. <laughs> um, Kim, let's make sure you you share how people can reach out to you again. And I know you have um, a challenge on your website as well that people can sign up for. So let, let's talk about that. Share that with my listeners. Oh, thank you. So I created a challenge that's essentially an email challenge. Every day for seven days, you'll get an email with some self-reflection questions and exercises to help you work through imposter syndrome, better understanding it, understanding how it shows up for you, managing through it more effectively. So if you're interested in that, you can find it on my website, yourcareersuccess.com. And I am most active on LinkedIn. That's the place where I spend the most time. So I would love to connect with anybody who's interested in connecting there. I try to share a lot of resources around these topics that I curate from you know, all the quote unquote experts out there. So definitely please feel free to, to connect with me there. Did I spell your website right? I you did. That's perfect. Thank you. Okay. I'm getting better at adding little captions and thoughts as, <laughs> as they appear for those that are watching the, the live stream video. So LinkedIn, Kim Menninger, website, yourcareersuccess.com. Okay. That's right. Last thought that you'd like to leave my listeners lift with um, around this or any other topic? I mean, you've already dropped value bombs like crazy on the show. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Well, to end on a high note, one of the things that I think about when I think about imposter syndrome is that, you know, we spend so much time in this anxiety and this place of I'm not good enough. Remind yourself when you feel this way that, 
it's because you're stepping outside of your comfort zone. It's because you're taking a risk. You're trying something new. It would be very easy for many of us to get really comfortable. If you're doing the same thing every day for 20 years, you're not going to experience imposter syndrome. There's no unpredictability there, right? It's because you continue to challenge yourself. It's because you're pushing yourself that you're feeling this way. And one thing I heard one time on NPR, I think, which has always stuck with me is the only difference between anxiety and excitement is the story you're telling yourself because it's the Mm. same physiological response. And so oftentimes when we step into a meeting and we're feeling that sense of overwhelm and I don't belong here, if we tell ourselves a different story of I'm excited to be here, your brain will believe whatever you tell it. So I'm so excited to be stepping into this new role. I'm excited for this new challenge, right? It's going to reframe the way we're processing what we're experiencing uh, through a much more positive lens. I, I, I love that. And that reminds me of somebody told me that story once when I was at an event and somebody had told me like a different way of looking at what I did. And I was crying and I was like, I'm so scared. And he goes, are you scared or are you excited? And I'm like, I feel like I'm scared. And he goes, well, well, are you turning in on yourself? Do you feel like you're going in there? Or do you feel like there's so much possibility and that's what you're scared of, which really is you're excited for it. But you're telling yourself this story that, well, I can't be excited for this. I should be scared. And yeah, that's totally, totally brilliant, Kim. Yet another brain <laughs> that you shared. And you talked about, you know, stepping outside the comfort zone. Somebody who's been doing the same thing for 20 years. I wonder if we can look at that in a different perspective too. Maybe you've been doing, somebody's been doing the same thing for 20 years because they feel if they try anything else that they're an imposter. So they've stayed in their box because they're suffering from imposter syndrome. That's very possible. It's very possible that that's what's keeping them from moving on. And this is a no judgment, you know, right? I'm not here to judge anybody who's in that situation. But I do often say, not that everyone will experience imposter syndrome. Studies show it's about 70% of the population that will be affected at some point or another. But I do often say, if you are somebody who has experienced imposter syndrome in the past, so you know that that's possible, and you haven't experienced it in a a while, maybe it's time to start thinking about taking a risk. Maybe it's time to start thinking about what is that next step outside of my comfort zone that can shake things up a little bit and get me into that more anxious slash excited place. So what's your next thing that you're working on that's exciting you? Well, I'm learning Spanish and my next thing is to have this conversation in Spanish. Ooh. (laughs) So now I've said it out loud. I can't take it back. No, no, you can't. Well, you can, but why would you, right? Do you you know Esprit Devora? No. Have you ever heard of her? She's, I I interviewed her for Podcast Magazine, one of the other hats I wear. And she's a woman in tech and she has several podcasts, including We Are LA Tech. And she's just so, so cool. And I got to know her because of the interview I did. Reminds me, I'm going to have to ask her to come on my show. She'd be a a great person to have on the show. Anyway, one of the things that she's doing is learning Spanish. And she has to force herself to practice it, right? Because she feels uncomfortable with her conversational Spanish. She has a room on Clubhouse now. Are you familiar with Clubhouse? Yes. Okay, so it's the new audio chat platform, which I'd love to do more with, but I struggle with my sound-induced vertigo because um, the sound quality is not always great coming out of um, a phone. Oh. When I'm at my desktop computer, I have exceptional sound equipment that I can even out the voices that are coming. On Clubhouse, you can't. There could be 20 different voices on different levels of equipment in different kind of rooms. And there's a fear that, I'm going to be shut down. I could black out from the sound levels. So I think I need to confront that myself. But she has a room on let's practice our Spanish. I'm going to look that up. You need to go look that up. You need to follow Esprit Devora because every room she's ever been in is so much fun. 
You oh, would totally love her and uh, just find her room. And I'm, I'm sure there's probably other rooms on practicing Spanish. And she's like, this is not a room for us to feel uncomfortable in. It's a great place for people who are fluent Spanish speakers to help people who are not. And for those who are not to help each other feel more confident. And you, I think that's a lot about what we talked about today on the show, right? Is Exactly. Yeah. So I, I really hope that my listeners out here take to heart what you talked about, what you shared. And I love the idea of your seven days to greater confidence, to clear through imposter syndrome, your challenge that they can get to at yourcareersuccess.com website. I love that. It's such a cool idea. And thank you. I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and for, for sharing your wisdom because I, I've taken so many notes <laughs> of, of things that I never thought of in the way that I did. So I hope that my listeners uh, have the same idea of that and can say to themselves, whoa, how do I define my value? And maybe that's the root of my imposter syndrome is the way I'm defining it. Well, it's okay to change that definition is what you've just said to me to all of my listeners in the, in the last hour or so. So, so thank you. Thank you. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah. I never know where these conversations are going to go. I map it out a little bit. I obviously don't have imposter syndrome around the actual interviews. And <laughs> 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 I just get so wrapped up into the conversation. And actually, let's let's just talk about that before we close out the show. I was going to close out the show, but that made me think about something. If for somebody who's saying they have imposter syndrome, right? But then they're in a situation and they are just so wrapped up and involved in the conversation, they tend to forget all those fears, but then they come out of it, right? Whatever they're doing and they're on the other side of it. And then they begin saying, I have imposter syndrome or doubting themselves and having lack of confidence. What do you say to somebody who goes into a situation, has all this fear, then they do something and they excel at it, but then they come out again doubting. Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one is it just goes to show the importance of being present in the situation. So you stay out of your own head, right? So a lot of times when we're in meetings or other stressful situations, we just listen to that voice, listen to what people are saying. Think about how can I contribute? Not what is that voice telling me? And then when you get to the other side of it and you know, in addition to anxiety, I'm a ruminator. I can absolutely replay everything that I said wrong in every in interaction. My way of processing this is two things. Number one is to say, Kim, nobody's thinking about this but you. You're the only person on earth right now who cares about this, so move on. <laughs> but also, what can I learn from this? Okay, there is some value to debriefing with yourself, to you know, kind of reflecting on how did it go, but only to the extent that I can get something so that I can apply it to the next situation in a powerful, better way. So if you frame it as, okay, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes to think about how that went and what do I want to do differently going forward? And then I'm going to move on. I, I love that. See, another beautiful piece as I was closing up the show, I'm like, no, I must ask her this additional question. All right. So everybody go to yourcareersuccess.com, sign up for Kim's uh, free seven-day email challenge, reach out to her on LinkedIn or through her website if you need some help working through this. And of course, Kim, your podcast is? The Imposter Syndrome Files, and you can get it on any streaming platform. Awesome. So everybody, I highly recommend the podcast because it's really, really great. She has incredible guests that are sharing their experiences and she takes everybody through it. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. I hope you got as much value out of today's show as I did, everybody. To me, this is a huge topic that I never fully realized how deep I had some imposter syndrome stuff. And on today's episode, you've heard me realize that 
how I defined my own value was around productivity. And because I'm not as productive as I used to be, I'm feeling like I'm not real with everything that's going on. So ask yourself that question. How do you define your value that Kim beautifully put out there? And if you need some help, reach out to either one of us. And at the end of the day, remember the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.